Chapter Ten of Margaret Fuller, Marquesa Osoli, by Julia Ward Howe. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Ocean Voyage, Arrival at Liverpool, The Lake Country, Wordsworth, Miss Martineau, Edinburgh, De Quincey, Mary Queen of Scots, Night on Ben Lomond, James Martineau, William J. Fox, London joanna bailey mazzini thomas carlyle margaret's impressions of him his estimate of her the time had now come when margaret's darling wish was to be fulfilled an opportunity of going abroad offered itself under circumstances which she felt able to accept on the first of august eighteen forty six she sailed for europe in the cambria then the favorite steamer of the cunard line with captain judkins the most popular and best known of the company's commanders her travelling companions were mr and mrs marcus spring of eaglewood new jersey she anticipated much from this journey delight instruction and the bodily view of a whole world of beauties which she knew as yet only ideally beyond and unguessed lay the mysteries of fate from whose depths she was never to emerge in her earthly form margaret already possessed the spirit of all that is most valuable in european culture she knew the writers of the old world by study its brave souls by sympathy its works of art more imperfectly through copies and engravings the europe which she carried in her mind was not that which the superficial observer sees with careless eyes nor could it altogether correspond with that which she in her careful and thoughtful travel would discern but the possession of the european mind was a key destined to unlock for her the true significance of european society the voyage was propitious arriving in england margaret visited the mechanics institute in liverpool and found the dial quoted in an address recently given by its director sentences from the writings of charles sumner and elihu burritt adorned the pages of bradshaw's railway guide and she was soon called upon to note the wide discrepancy between the views of enlightened englishmen and the selfish policy of their government corresponding to the more vulgar passions and ambitions of the people at large passing into the lake country she visited wordsworth at ambleside and found no apollo flaming with youthful glory but instead a reverend old man clothed in black and walking with cautious step along the level garden path the aged poet then numbering seventy-six years but of a florid fair old age showed the visitors his household portraits his hollyhocks and his fuchsias his secluded mode of life margaret learned had so separated him from the living issues of the time that the needs of the popular heart touched him but remotely she found him however less intolerant than she had feared concerning the repeal of the corn laws a measure upon which public opinion was at the time strongly divided in this neighborhood margaret again saw miss martineau at a new home presented to her by the gratitude of england for her course of energetic and benevolent effort dean milman historian and dramatist was here introduced to margaret who describes him as a specimen of the polished scholarly man of the world 
margaret now visited various places of interest in scotland and in edinburgh saw dr andrew combe dr chalmers and de quincey dr combe an eminent authority in various departments of medicine and physiology was a younger brother of george combe the distinguished phrenologist he had much to say about his tribulations with the american publishers who had pirated one of his works but who refused to print an amended edition of it on the ground that the book sold well enough as it was margaret describes dr chalmers as half shepherd half orator florid portly yet of an intellectually luminous appearance de quincey was of the same age as wordsworth margaret finds his thoughts and knowledge of a character somewhat superseded by the progress of the age she found him not the less an admirable narrator not rapid but gliding along like a rivulet through a green meadow giving and taking a thousand little beauties not required to give his story due relief but each in itself a separate boon she admires too his urbanity so opposed to the rapid slang vivian grayish style current in the literary conversation of the day among margaret's meditations in scotland was one which she records as the bootless best thoughts i had while looking at the dull bloodstain and blocked-up secret stair of holyrood at the ruins of lochleven castle and afterwards at abbotsford where the picture of queen mary's head as it lay on the pillow when severed from the block hung opposite to a fine caricature of queen elizabeth dancing high and disposedly we give here a part of this meditation surely in all the stern pages of life's account-book there is none on which a more terrible price is exacted for every precious endowment her rank and reign only made her powerless to do good and exposed her to danger her talents only served to irritate her foes and disappoint her friends this most charming of women was the destruction of her lovers married three times she had never any happiness as a wife but in both the connections of her choice found that she had either never possessed or could not retain even for a few weeks the love of the men she had chosen a mother twice and of a son and daughter both the children were brought forth in loneliness and sorrow and separated from her early her son educated to hate her her daughter at once immured in a convent add the eighteen years of her imprisonment and the fact that this foolish prodigal world when there was in it one woman fitted by her grace and loveliness to charm all eyes and enliven all fancies suffered her to be shut up to water with her tears her dull embroidery during the full rose-blossom of her life and you will hardly get beyond this story for a tragedy not noble but pallid and forlorn from edinburgh margaret and her party made an excursion into the highlands the stage-coach was not yet displaced by the locomotive and margaret enjoyed from the top the varying aspect of that picturesque region perth loch leven and loch katrine were visited and roardenen the place from which the ascent of ben lomond is usually made by travellers margaret attempted this feat with but one companion and without a guide the people at the inn not having warned her of any danger in so doing the ascent she found delightful 
so magnificent was the prospect that in remembering it she said had that been as afterwards seemed likely the last act of my life there could not have been a finer decoration painted on the curtain which was to drop upon it the proverbial facilis descensus did not here hold good and the revocare gratum nearly cost margaret her life beginning to descend at four in the afternoon the indistinct path was soon lost margaret's companion left her for a moment in search of it and could not find her soon he called to me that he had found it the path and i followed in the direction where he seemed to be but i mistook overshot it and saw him no more in about ten minutes i became alarmed and called him many times it seems he on his side did the same but the brow of some hill was between us and we neither saw nor heard one another margaret now made many attempts to extricate herself from her dangerous situation and at last attained a point from which she could see the lake and the inn from which she had started in the morning but the mountain paths were crossed by watercourses and hemmed in by bogs after much climbing up and down margaret already wet very weary and thinly clad saw that she must pass the night on the mountain the spot at which the light forsook her was of so precipitous a character as to leave her in the dark no liberty of movement yet she did keep in motion of some sort through the whole of that weary night and this she supposes saved her life the stars kept her company for two hours when the mist fell and hid them the moon rose late and was but dimly discernible at length morning came and margaret starting homeward once more came upon a company of shepherds who carried her exhausted to the inn where her distressed friends were waiting for news of her such was the extent of the mountain that a party of twenty men with dogs sent in search of the missing one were not heard by her and did not hear her voice which she raised from time to time hoping to call some one to her rescue the strength of margaret's much abused constitution was made evident by her speedy recovery from the effects of this severe exposure a fit vigil this for one who was about to witness the scenes of eighteen forty eight she speaks of the experience as sublime indeed a never-to-be-forgotten presentation of stern serene realities i had had my grand solitude my oceanic visions and the pleasure of sustaining myself after visiting glasgow and stirling margaret and her friends returned to england by abbotsford and melrose in birmingham margaret heard two discourses from george dawson then considered a young man of much promise in liverpool she had already heard james martineau and in london she listened to william fox she compares these men with william henry channing and theodore parker none of them compare in the symmetrical arrangement of extempore discourse or in the pure eloquence and communication of spiritual beauty with channing nor in fullness and sustained flow with parker margaret's estimate of martineau is interesting mr martineau looks like the over-intellectual the partially developed man and his speech confirms this impression he is sometimes conservative sometimes reformer 
not in the sense of eclecticism but because his powers and views do not find a true harmony on the conservative side he is scholarly acute on the other pathetic pictorial generous he is no prophet and no sage yet a man full of fine affections and thoughts always suggestive sometimes satisfactory mr fox appears to her the reverse of all this he is homogeneous in his materials and harmonious in the results he produces he has great persuasive power it is the persuasive power of a mind warmly engaged in seeking truth for itself what a leap did our margaret now make from puritanic new england roundhead and cromwellian in its character into the very heart of old england into that london which in those days and for long years after might have been called the metropolis of the world wonders of many sorts the province in brick still contains still does it most astonish those who bring to it the most knowledge but the social wonders which it then could boast have passed away leaving no equals to take their place charles dickens was then in full bloom thackeray in full bud sydney smith exercised his keen discreet wit kenyon not only wrote about pink champagne but dispensed it with many other good things rogers entertained with exquisite taste and showed his art treasures without ostentation tom moore like a veteran canary chirped but would not sing lord brougham and the iron duke were seen in the house of lords carlyle growled and imbibed strong tea at chelsea the queen was in the favour of her youth with her handsome husband always at her side the duchess of sutherland a beautiful woman with lovely daughters kept her state at stafford house lord houghton was known as monckton milnes the honourable mrs norton wore her dark hair folded upon her classic head beneath a circlet of diamonds a first season in london was then a bewilderment of brilliancy in reputations beauties and entertainments margaret did not encounter the season but hoped to do so at a later day for the moment she consoled herself thus i am glad i did not at first see all that pomp and parade of wealth and luxury in contrast with the misery squalid agonizing ruffianly which stares one in the face in every street of london and hoots at the gates of her palaces a note more ominous than ever was that of owler raven in the portentous times when empires and races have crumbled and fallen from inward decay margaret expresses the hope that the social revolution which to her seemed imminent in england may be a peaceful one which shall destroy nothing except the shocking inhumanity of exclusiveness she speaks with appreciation of the national and dulwich galleries the british museum the zoological gardens among the various establishments of benevolence and reform she especially mentions a school for poor italian boys with which mazzini had much to do this illustrious man was already in exile in london as was the german poet freiligrath margaret was an admirer of joanna bailey and considered her and the french madame roland as the best specimens hitherto offered of women of a roman strength and singleness of mind 
adorned by the various culture and capable of the various action open to them by the progress of the christian idea she thus chronicles her visit to miss bailey we found her in her little calm retreat at hampstead surrounded by marks of love and reverence from distinguished and excellent friends near her was the sister older than herself yet still sprightly and full of active kindness whose character she has in one of her last poems indicated with such a happy mixture of sagacity humour and tender pathos and with so absolute a truth of outline although no autograph hunter i asked for theirs and when the elder gave hers as sister to joanna bailey it drew a tear from my eye a good tear a genuine pearl fit homage to that fairest product of the soul of man humble disinterested tenderness margaret also visited miss berry the friend of horace walpole long a celebrity and at that time more than eighty years old in spite of this margaret found her still characterized by the charm careless nature or refined art which had made her a social power once and always but of all the notable personages who might have been seen in the london of that time no one probably interested margaret so much as did thomas carlyle her introduction to him was for mr emerson his friend and correspondent and it was such as to open to her more than once the doors of the retired and reserved house in which neither time nor money was lavished upon the entertainment of strangers mr carlyle's impressions of margaret have now been given to the world in the published correspondence of carlyle and emerson she had long before drawn her portrait of him in one of her letters descriptive of london and its worthies the candid criticism of both is full of interest and may here be contrasted margaret says i approached him with more reverence after a little experience of england and scotland had taught me to appreciate the strength and height of that wall of shams and conventions which he more than any other man or thousand men indeed he almost alone has begun to throw down he has torn off the veils from hideous facts he has burnt away foolish illusions he has touched the rocks and they have given forth musical answer little more was wanting to begin to construct the city but that little was wanting and the work of construction is left to those that come after him nay all attempts of the kind he is the readiest to deride fearing new shams worse than the old unable to trust the general action of a thought and finding no heroic man no natural king to represent it and challenge his confidence how significant is this phrase unable to trust the general action of a thought this saving faith in the power of just thought carlyle the thinker had not with a reverence then not blind but discriminating margaret approached this luminous mind and saw and heard its possessor thus accustomed to the infinite wit and exuberant richness of his writings his talk is still an amazement and a splendour scarcely to be faced with steady eyes he does not converse only harangues it is the usual misfortune of such marked men that they cannot allow other minds room to breathe and show themselves in their atmosphere 
and thus miss the refreshment and instruction which the greatest never cease to need from the experience of the humblest carlyle indeed is arrogant and overbearing but in his arrogance there is no littleness or self-love it is the heroic arrogance of some old scandinavian conqueror it is his nature and the untamable impulse that has given him power to crush the dragons for the higher kinds of poetry he has no sense and his talk on that subject is delightfully and gorgeously absurd he puts out his chin sometimes till it looks like the beak of a bird and his eyes flash bright instinctive meanings like jove's bird yet he is not calm and grand enough for the eagle he is more like the falcon and yet not of gentle blood enough for that either i cannot speak more nor wiselier of him now nor needs it his works are true to blame and praise him the siegfried of england great and powerful if not quite invulnerable and of a might rather to destroy evil than to legislate for good in a letter to mr emerson margaret gives some account of her visits at the carlisle mansion the second of these was on the occasion of a dinner-party at which she met a witty french flippant sort of a man author of a history of philosophy and now writing a life of goethe presumably george luce margaret acknowledges that he told stories admirably and that his occasional interruptions of carlyle's persistent monologue were welcome of this her summary is too interesting to be omitted here for a couple of hours he was talking about poetry and the whole harangue was one eloquent proclamation of the defects in his own mind tennyson wrote in verse because the schoolmasters had taught him that it was great to do so and had thus unfortunately been turned from the true path for a man burns had in like manner been turned from his vocation shakespeare had not had the good sense to see that it would have been better to write straight on in prose and such nonsense which though amusing enough at first he ran to death after a while the latter part of the evening however he paid us for this by a series of sketches in his finest style of railing and raillery of modern french literature all were depreciating except that of beranger of him he spoke with perfect justice because with hearty sympathy the retirement of the ladies to the drawing-room afforded margaret an opportunity which she had not yet enjoyed i had afterwards some talk with mrs carlyle whom hitherto i had only seen for who can speak while her husband is there i like her very much she is full of grace sweetness and talent her eyes are sad and charming margaret saw the carlyles only once more they came to pass an evening with us unluckily mazzini was with us whose society when he was there alone i enjoyed more than any he is a beauteous and pure music also he is a dear friend of mrs carlyle but his being there gave the conversation a turn to progress and ideal subjects and carlyle was fluent in invectives on all our rosewater imbecilities we all felt distant from him and mazzini after some vain efforts to remonstrate became very sad mrs carlyle said to me 
these are but opinions to carlyle but to mazzini who has given his all and helped bring his friends to the scaffold in pursuit of such subjects it is a matter of life and death clearly carlyle had not in margaret's estimation the true gospel she would not bow to the titanic forces whether met with in the romances of sand or in his force theory and so bidding him farewell with great admiration she passes on as she says more lowly more willing to be imperfect since fate permits such noble creatures after all to be only this or that carlyle is only a lion carlyle on his side writes of her to mr emerson margaret is an excellent soul in real regard with both of us here since she went i have been reading some of her papers in a new book we have got greatly superior to all i knew before in fact the undeniable utterances now first undeniable to me of a truly heroic mind altogether unique so far as i know among the writing women of this generation rare enough too god knows among the writing men she is very narrow sometimes but she is truly high honour to margaret and more and more good speed to her at a later day he sums up his impressions of her in this wise such a predetermination to eat this big universe as her oyster or her egg and to be absolute empress of all height and glory in it that her heart could conceive i have not before seen in any human soul her mountain me indeed but her courage too is high and clear her chivalrous nobleness a tout épreuve margaret's high estimate of mazzini will be justified by those who knew him or knew of him mazzini one of these noble refugees is not only one of the heroic the courageous and the faithful italy boasts many such but he is also one of the wise one of those who disappointed in the outward results of their undertakings can yet bait no jot of heart and hope but must steer right onward for it was no superficial enthusiasm no impatient energies that impelled him but an understanding of what must be the designs of heaven with regard to man since god is love is justice he is one of those beings who measuring all things by the ideal standard have yet no time to mourn over failure or imperfection there is too much to be done to obviate it she finds in his papers published in the people's journal the purity of impulse largeness and steadiness of view and fineness of discrimination which must belong to a legislator for a christian commonwealth much as margaret admired the noble sentiments expressed in mazzini's writings she admired still more the love and wisdom which led the eminent patriot to found with others the school for poor italian boys already spoken of more christ-like did she deem this labor than aught that he could have said or sung as among the fishermen and poor people of judea were picked up those who have become to modern europe a leaven that leavens the whole mass so may these poor italian boys yet become more efficacious as missionaries to their people than would an orphic poet at this period at the distribution of prizes to the school in which mazzini and mariotti took part 
some of the polish exiles also being present she seemed to see a planting of the kingdom of heaven margaret saw a good deal of james garth wilkinson who later became prominent as the author of the work entitled the human body in its relation to the constitution of man she found in him a sane strong and well-exercised mind but in the last degree unpoetical in its structure dr wilkinson published years after this time a volume of verses which amply sustains this judgment browning she writes has just married miss barrett and gone to italy i may meet them there hoping for a much longer visit at some future time and bewildered as she says both by the treasures which she had found and those which she had not had opportunity to explore margaret left london for its social and aesthetic antithesis Paris End of chapter 10